before we come to the preaching of the word, let me just say a short word of prayer. We'll ask God's grace upon the ministry this morning. Let us pray. Our blessed God, we come now and we pray that you would just bless the reading and teaching of the word. Draw us close to you, O God, we pray. Draw us close to the meaning, the power, the mystery of the cross, the meaning, the power, the mystery of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Our Lord Jesus once asked a crowd of uh, religious gatherers who who had uh, left their homes to sit under the ministry of one John the Baptist. He asked them, what then did you go out to see? That's how he phrased it a number of times. What did you go out to see? In doing so, he was attempting to confront the possible misconceptions that he had noted that they had regarding the purpose, the meaning of John the Baptist's ministry. And he was challenging them to ensure that they hadn't missed the point of his preaching. What then did you go out to see? was the question. Well then, this morning, as we come to reflect on the day that we refer to as Good Friday, feel like that same question could be aptly applied to us. What then did you go out to see? When you hear about the cross of Jesus, when you think about Good Friday, what do you go out to see? Because of course it's important that we see the right thing about the cross. Surely it's not merely the trappings of the holiday uh, with all its traditions and festivities and ceremonies. Even the religious festivities. Surely it's more than that. It's not just a religious symbol, a jewelry, piece of jewelry that we wear on our necks, clothing to, um, to, to show that we identify with a kind of religious institution. Surely it's not just some kind of lucky charm and amulet that we think wards off evil. Or maybe you, you think it's just this wonderful demonstration of love and self-sacrifice that all kinds of people should long to emulate in their daily lives uh, so that there can be peace in the world. What have you gone out to see? It's important that we have rightly understood the meaning of the cross, we have to make sure that we are seeing the right thing, especially since, as a church, it's our duty to proclaim the truth, and as we sang earlier, the glory of the cross. Um, we are the ones, to quote the Apostle Paul, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. That's what Paul says to the Galatian church. They had seen the cross and those who are Christians you have seen the cross you, it's like you've seen Christ crucified and what have you seen uh, the meaning of Christ's death has been made clear to us uh, we've seen that the cross is about the son of God crucified the wrath of God placed upon him for the sins of others and to save those who could not save themselves That's what the cross is about. And yet we have to confess, don't we, that sometimes we we don't see it as we ought to. 
We don't feel the lingering shadow of the cross upon our day-to-day lives as it should. It's the Son of God that was crucified. The Son of God upon whom the sun ceased to shine. How could we forget? So we're always praying that we respond rightly to the cross. Uh, The lyrics of uh, of, uh, what's often referred to as a, a Negro spiritual, they refer to as Negro spiritual spiritual because they trace... Uh, their origins from plantation songs, songs that these enslaved Africans sang um, while they were working on the fields or while, while, while they were engaging in worship, these songs that were traced back to these slaves. And perhaps, well, at least among the most popular ones is one about the crucifixion of our Lord that begins with the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Did you see it? Did you see? It's, it's a mystical kind of question because in one sense, you, we know we were not there. But I, I imagine the slaves feel like to appropriate the cross is to also be able to speak about the way in which you do see it. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And if you were there, the song goes on to say repeatedly, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Sometimes it causes me to tremble and that's something of the right way to respond to the cross of Jesus it causes us to tremble this is holy ground so we have to ensure that we're seeing the right thing even the church can make a mockery of the cross even the church can be careless to its power its wonder its glory and start to pursue other things when everything is right there well there's no better place to turn to, right, to make sure that our, our vision is clear than the scriptures. And I love it when there is an overlap in, in our teaching ministry. Now, now, intentionally, of course, leading up to the service, we started to look at the, um, we, we did a Tuesday Bible study. Why did Jesus die? Asking ourselves that very question. What, what do you got to see when you see the cross? I mean, we answered that in multiple ways. But also last uh, Sunday, on Sunday evening, as I, we're, pre- we're going through the book of Acts and I was preaching from chapter 9. And you know, famously, chapter 9 narrates the most famous conversion in Christian history, the conversion of, of Saul. And I, I was making the point quite repeatedly in the sermon that one of the things Acts 9 shows us, actually, because of the, the glory of Saul's conversion, is that the church must protect Paul, is how I phrase it. We have to hold Paul dear to our hearts. We, we must not buy into the lie of Satan, the lie of false teachers who want to pit Paul against Jesus, uh, uh, separate Paul from the gospel. You know, some people say, I, I just read the gospels. You know, I, you know, Paul, no, we must not do that. Paul was speaking by the spirit of Jesus Christ. And Paul's words are every bit as are equal to every single word that we have recorded of Jesus in the New Testament. They're equal. There's no, Christ's words in the New Testament are not greater than Paul's. And what that means then is that when we read something like the Passion Narratives that we've read this morning, when we read the crucifixion story, the Holy Spirit has chosen, God has chosen to use Paul to elucidate, to illuminate, to uh, explain certain aspects of what might just look as a narrative, don't get me wrong, even the New Testament authors of the Gospels have this purpose in mind when they are speaking about the cross. 
when they're telling the narratives of the cross, they have it. If you want an evangelistic, they're not ignorant to the meaning. It's not just a random story for you to, to, to weep at or for you to be fine sentimental. There's a meaning, and you can see it um, in, the, in the narratives, but especially you see it because of how later on in the New Testament, someone like a Paul explains the significance of the cross. And one of the ways, one of the numerous ways that Paul tells us about what we go out to see when we see the cross is these verses that I read to you in, in verse um, 10 to 14, especially 13 to 14. Let me read 13 to 14 again in your hearing. The Apostle Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through, through faith. So the Apostle Paul tells us, what, what do you see? One of the things you see when you look at the cross, one of the things you must see when you look at the cross is the blessed Son of God, the blessed one, becoming a curse for a cursed generation so that they might enter into the blessing of God. That's one of the ways to properly focus, properly contemplate, properly understand the meaning, the power, the glory of the cross. Well, let me draw your attention to three particular things. One is the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse. Yes, but for us, right? Notice in verse 13, it's us he's redeeming. He's redeeming us from the curse of the law. So the first thing, by implication, that Paul is clearly saying is that Christ died on the cross because humanity is cursed. So one of the things that we see when we come to the cross of Jesus, and if we dedicate a time like we have done this morning to thinking about the cross, we look at what we, we, we speak about a cursed humanity, Cursed people outside of the cross of Jesus. If under the cross there's blessing, outside of it there's curses. And, uh, you know, that's, how, this is, that's black and white as the scriptures paint it. Black and white. If you're not in Christ, you're cursed. If you're in Christ, you enter into blessing. When we were not in Christ, we were under the curse. When we receive Christ, we come into blessing. It's black and white. I know this is a politically correct age. I know, I know this, 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 sort of, this sort of certainty, dogma, could offend some. But that's how the scriptures speak. And who am I, a preacher in a, in a, in a London church, to be any way, uh, to, be, to be hazy? Who am I to not be straightforward about the truth? What's the worst that's going to happen? Someone's going to say something bad about me. There's people who preach this in the very face of death. Who are we not to be clear? Especially with matters of life and death. Outside of Jesus Christ, men and women are under the curse. So the, the cross is, I understand, is a beautiful sight. But you will be distorting the beauty if you don't see that. Cursed. This is what necessitated the sacrifice of God's son. This is why God had to come into the world. Because apart from that, the world is under an impossible condition. 
there's a cursed existence of humanity. It might not always feel that way, but that's because the God of this world has blinded our eyes. He's deceiving us. You know, sometimes the, the luxury, the pleasure, the pleasures of this world, which are, by the way, temporary, they're only for a short time. They make us forget. But what a solemn thing to think about. This world is cursed. There's reason for the Christian to be joyful in this world, yes. And, and Christians are very peaceful, joyful people, yes. And I don't mean to be morbid, but just it, that's my, I'm not pursuing morbidity. I'm just, I need to tell, but the truth is, the reality of how the, the, the cross makes us think. Outside of him. You know, there's a curse. And this is... This is, not, this is not some ancestry curse. This is outside, you know, you might think someone cursed you. That's not, that's not the point. It's not about, I think my grandmother cursed me when I was younger, or I believe that, oh, into some things in my life, I must be cursed. No, this is a curse which is synonymous with God's judgment. Right? This is God's curse. Now, in one sense, we get insight into what Paul means when he says, Cursed. Christ redeemed us from the curse because he, he refers it to the curse of the law. That's what he calls it. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And why is that helpful? Because what is the curse of the law? Well, earlier on, Paul says in this chapter, verse 10, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We don't have time to delve deeply into this. But, but look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. When Paul speaks about the curse of the law, he's speaking about a curse that comes upon all humanity because they break God's law. He's saying, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's saying, as soon as we become conscious of right and wrong and sensitive to the fact that we do wrong and have done wrong, do we not realize that what it shows is we are a cursed people? None of us are righteous before God. God is holy. And every distorting of his law, every deviating from what is right and true brings us under the curse. We're cursed people. And what Paul basically says here is, God gave a law, God has given laws and commands. Which one of us could say we have obeyed God's law perfectly? And so if any of us are looking to escape the curse by living right, I see so many people doing that right today. Don't we, we see people who, who want to live right. We see people who boast in, uh, you see people boast in their evolution. They boast in that. They say, I'm making changes to my life. I'm not the same man that I used to be. I've changed my way of thinking. And they're, they're happy. They're boasting it. And they're doing all they can. They're eating right. They're going to see therapists. And they're doing all this kind of things so they can, they can, they can do righteous things. But cursed is the man trying to make himself right before God by the things he does by his own morality, by being blind to the fact that it is impossible for us. Impossible. Paul says it's a curse to anybody who is thinking that they can live right 
apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what the curse is. We're cursed because we're separated from God. We're cursed because we've sinned against God. And the effect of that, and God leaves this as a witness to the world, is the cursedness of our existence. That's what's portrayed for us in the Genesis story, right? Adam and Eve break God's rule, God's law. And so humanity falls. And now that humanity is disconnected from the source of life, from the source of beauty, from the source of truth, all that's left is decay, deception. That's all that's left, death. We are under a curse because to sin is to lose the blessings of God. To sin brings judgment, and God's judgment is a curse. And God has cursed the world, and this world is cursed. Don't you forget that. This world is de decaying. This world is frustrating. This world is disappointing. This world is grueling. Even the finest, most noble, the healthiest, the wealthiest, the ones who lead the most peaceful existence in this world end up in the grave. God says, notice the curse. So one hymn writer who has written a very popular hymn that we simply title, Abide With Me, Stay With Me, Be With Me. It's a, it's a testimony of helplessness in a helpless world. He, the, the hymn writer says, swift to its close ebbs out, ebbs out life's little day. We're here today, gone tomorrow. We can't even make sense of the world. Earth's joys grow dim. We're enjoying it for a season. We're enjoying being young for a season. We're enjoying the... But it's only for a season. They grow dim so quickly, they don't satisfy its glories pass away. The celebrity of yesterday is forgotten tomorrow. It, it passes away. I know it might seem like that person has the world in their hands and they're all the talk of the world, but it's, it's, it's so swift. The glories pass away, change and decay. In all around I see, everything decays. Everything changes. Relationships fall apart. Friendships grow apart. There's change and decay. And it does, there's no warning. We don't always see it coming. O thou who changest not, abide with me. It's a cursed world. And we can never forget that. Again, I'm not saying that this makes Christians, and you see why, it, 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 it would seem like it should, but I'm not saying this makes Christians depressed, gloomy people. No. It just means that we place our joys in the right place. And, and, I, and I'm a smiling, joking kind of person, but I need to live with the recognition that my world, the world we are in, is cursed, is given to decay and to fail. And in one sense, I don't mean to be the pessimist, but all the efforts outside of Jesus Christ that are made to restructure and to refurbish this world are doomed to destruction. God has judged it. But the second thing then, 
that Paul tells us explicitly is he redeemed us from this curse by becoming a curse for us. So the world is cursed. When we look at the cross, it reminds us that. And so it tells us that what Jesus Christ was doing on the cross, he was being the curse bearer. Bearing the curse. Look how, look how emphatically Paul states it. Jesus became a curse for us. On the cross, the Son of God was a curse. Totally. He had to become a curse. The blessed Son of God, the blessed one, he comes, although he is God, eternally blessed, living in the blessedness of his glory. For God so loved the world. Because God is kind, because God is merciful, he came into our cursed world. And once the Son of God came into our cursed world to save his people, he had to take their curse, his curse upon himself. And so at the cross, we need to see that our Savior, Jesus, becomes cursed just like us. The innocent one becomes guilty. The pure becomes vile. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. The only one who ever deserved to be blessed becomes cursed. And to confirm this fact, Paul highlights one of the most egregious examples of a cursed existence that you can find in the scriptures. He says, cursed, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Paul is saying, when you see Jesus Christ on the cross, if you know your scriptures, if you understand what, we call, what you might call the law, or if you understand the Old Testament, you should know that this is a reference to, and I read the passage in Deuteronomy 21, you should know it's a reference to how the law legislated that certain crimes which required the death penalty, so don't miss it, it's not so much that the law of the Old Testament legislated that certain crimes should lead to crucifixion. No, it's that there were certain crimes in the Old Testament that led to execution. Mostly it was by stoning, other times as well, but it's a corporal punishment. But sometimes, for certain crimes, after the execution, the body was hung on a pole, on a tree. And it was hung on a tree to remind the people that this was a cursed existence. This was someone who was cursed because they broke the law of God and the law of God, only, breaking the law of God only leads to being cursed. This was a person who sinned. Now, of course, it was a certain, certain types of sins, but either way, look at the corpse. Look at this lifeless body on a pole and what a cursed existence it is to be breaking the law of God. But we've all broken the law of God. The other thing to say about Deuteronomy 21 is the, the bodies were never left on the tree either, right? So they were left on the tree for a while and they spoke to the people about the curse of breaking God's law. But also after a while, they were taken from the tree, taken from the pole. And you know why? Because 
that corpse is cursed. So you need to remove it. Purge the land. You can't leave the curse on the tree. You can't leave the curse on the tree. You have to purge it. You have to remove it. Remove it from the land. Don't let it, don't, don't let it soil the land. It was symbolic for the people of Israel saying, God has lifted the curse from us. We place this cursed fellow on the, on the, on the pole. We, 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 we hang this cursed fellow and now we're removing the curse and God's curse is taken away from us. And Jesus Christ, Paul says, is the one that truly fulfills this. To identify with cursed humanity, Jesus died a cursed death. And he was hung on the tree for sinners. And he, he summoned all the cursing that ever fell upon humanity. The cursing for murderers, the cursing that belongs to, you know, there's a special curse that belongs to murderers. Uh, the, the blood of, the blood crying out, well, Christ took that upon himself. And the cursing that belongs to adulterers, because certain sins of fornication and sexual immorality in the Old Testament were even met with death. He took that upon himself. And all these cursing that belongs to a sinful humanity, greed, covetousness, bitterness, anger, he took it upon himself. And he hung on the tree. And he's saying to the world, I'm cursed. But he's innocent, but he's cursed because he's bearing the curse of a cursed world. And you know, interestingly, in the Gospels, it is always said that Jesus Christ did not stay on the cross till evening. He was taken off, just like the corpse in the Old Testament, symbolizing that the curse of God had truly been taken from us. Jesus Christ became a curse. And right through the gospel narratives, this is stressed for us. Stressed and stressed, we meet Jesus Christ at Gethsemane in the garden. And remember what he's doing when he's praying. The, the Bible tells us that he, 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 he was sweating drops of blood. And one commentator, uh, old commentator, Matthew Henry says, sweat came in with sin. He's referring to Genesis 3. And how God said, in the sweat of your face. And was a branch of the curse. And therefore, when Christ was made sin and a curse for us, he underwent a grievous sweat that in the sweat of his face we might eat bread, and that he might sanctify and sweeten all our trials to us. He also wears a crown of thorns. And on this, Matthew Henry says, thorns came in with sin and were part of the curse that was the product of sin. Therefore, Christ being made a curse for us and dying to remove the curse from us, felt the pain and smart of those thorns. In fact, he crowned himself with the thorns. Jesus Christ was identifying with our cursed existence. He was taking our curse. And finally, of course, he died. That's the, that's the, the climax. The height of God's curse upon humanity is that no matter what they do, they're heading towards death. But Jesus Christ died. And the the, the, the New Testament is clear to, to, make, to make this clear. He actually died. He died. The Son of God died. He, 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 he sometimes, while he was alive, he brought others back from the dead. 
He, he made the lame to walk. He walked on water. But he died. Uh, the writer of the Hebrew says he, he tasted death. He tasted death for us, for everyone, so that we might know that Jesus Christ fully bears upon himself the curse. What do you go to see? You see the Son of God, the innocent Lamb of God, taking upon himself the cursed existence of humanity. And that then has, has a, an urgency to it. It has a call to it. And this is the third thing. You know, the writer to, in, in Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus Christ died to reconcile God to sinners. And, and, and once, because Christ had done that, he then sent us a mission. He's talking about the apostles at the time. To be ambassadors and to tell people, it's time for you to be reconciled to God. And the same way Paul tells us, because Jesus Christ bore our curse upon himself on the tree, you and I can be redeemed. It was in our place that Christ took upon this curse. He was blessed in his heavenly throne. But for sinners like you and me, the Bible says, verse 13, Christ redeemed us. He bought, that's what the word redeemed, he paid, he paid a price to free us from the curse of the law. And when we go to Calvary, that's what we go to see. The one place where we can be free from this world's curse. Now, interestingly enough, what Paul tells the Galatian churches, Christ redeems you from the curse. Now, now, I have no doubt that when Paul extends the meaning of the curse, he even has in mind all those things that the curse of God brings. Poverty. Uh, sickness, death. If you've read Paul's teachings, you know that there's, this is certainly the case. That Paul believes that Jesus Christ redeemed us from all the power, all the effects of the curse. But of course, we don't yet see that. In one sense, there's still aspects of the curse so many that we are still susceptible to, including sin. What Paul then tells this congregation here is he says, Christ redeemed you from the curse. And so he took away the curse, yes, and all its effects. And he gave you the greatest blessing of all. Even though you don't see, that, and, and there's, there's, there's aspects to, effect, to its effects that you are yet to see, but there's one thing you can be sure of. He gave you the greatest blessing of all. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you read the book of Galatians, you would recognize that essentially the Apostle Paul says, the blessing that we receive, Christ removes the curse, the judgment of God. He brings us into blessing. And what is blessing? At least in Galatians, Paul's focus is on justification and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Some people have distorted, twisted, how is beyond me. Well, it's not beyond me, it's human greed. They've twisted this to mean that the blessing of Abraham is referring to riches. 
or, or health. Now, now it's naive because so many Christians are poor and so many Christians are sick, but somehow we still believe this. Anyway, they've twisted it to believe that. But Paul is very clear, you see, in Galatians. He, he never once promises these folks wealthy riches. Not that Paul doesn't see that the curse extends to that, but the most important thing that we need is to be right with God, to have God in our lives so that he can lead us ultimately away from the curse. And Paul is saying, apart from Jesus, men and women are far from God. Their existence is cursed. But Jesus is the curse remover. If you believe in Jesus, you're justified. You know what justification is? Justification is a declaration that you are right with God. Apart from anything that you have done, can do, or will do. Justification is how Christians live right. Not by trying to impress people. Not by trying to fix our lives in our own strength. But by faith. Paul says the righteous shall live by faith. We believe that Jesus has dealt with our sinfulness, our curse. Our greatest need is to know that God is for us, that we're God's children, that God is no longer angry with us, that no matter what we face in this world, it's only part and parcel of how he's preparing us for his glory. That's our greatest need, to know that. And the only way we can know that is to know that God is not going to ask me to earn my right with him. And he doesn't. He's placed that on someone else. Someone else can take my... I'm guilty, but someone else can take that guilt. Jesus Christ takes the curse. And the other thing that Paul says is the Spirit. God gave you the Holy Spirit so that, lest you say, there's no evidence that this work has happened. You see it because there's this guarantee in your, you know, the Bible says so many things that the Spirit does in us to assure us that the curse is removed. I know that I know that I'm the child of God because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. You know, the, the verse in the Bible that says, it's in Galatians, that by the Holy Spirit we cry out, Father. The Holy Spirit reminds me and you that Jesus Christ stretched out his arms, he stretched out his hands as a curse. So you and I can stretch out our hands to God in blessing and praise. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we, are, we have an inheritance. That death is not the end. That we are going to be resurrected in Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse. He set us free. He broke the powers of our cursed existence. He set us free to live in the liberty of the Holy Spirit. That's what you go to see when you look at the cross. The Son of God taking on this world's cursed existence so that those of us who believe in him can be redeemed from it redeemed, and there is no other way. I mentioned earlier about this uh, Negro spiritual. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? That's what they sang. Now, 
it, it was known that a lot of those slaves would, they would almost code in aspects of their own experience into the songs they sang. So in one sense, the song was just speaking about spirituality and the worship of God and the things of God. In another sense, he was telling some stories about their own experience. So, so for example, they would say in this song, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? But for them, it also reminded them of the times they had seen each other being lynched and nailed to the tree. And what they were trying to do at points is make sense of their cursed existence. To make sense of their cursed existence. And the only place they could have done so was in the cross of Jesus Christ. There was someone who allowed them to believe that even if the world rejected them, that even if men despised them, they had become free and children of God. They saw this because they knew Jesus Christ was a curse bearer. They, they felt their cursed existence. They identified that with Jesus. It was a cursed existence. And how can you say the world is not cursed? Because there's no more slavery like that, right? But you know there's still forms of slavery everywhere. How do you read the news and see the wickedness that men and women do and say the world is not cursed? How do we see that little children are the ones who become tomorrow's murderers and thieves and liars? How do we see that and not identify with a world that is cursed? The world is cursed. The only way to live in hope in light of all that we see is to believe that there is one who has carried this curse and now gives sense to our existence. Jesus Christ once said, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? My friends, that's the epicenter of a cursed existence. If it's possible for you to have all you want and still be doomed for destruction, that is really cursed. That's what Jesus Christ is telling us. There's nowhere to hide from God's judgment. You can't sentimentalize it away. You might not like it. You can't theologize it away. You can't philosophize it away. You can be offended all day and all night by how you think God has run his world, but you can't deny the judgment. You can't deny it. If your voice matters so much, then remove the curse. Then fix the curse. But the problem you have is if you're being honest for a moment, you see the curse within. You are broken. You are fallen. You are not what you want to be. Oh, wretched man that I am who can deliver me from this cursed existence. The only hope is to look to Jesus, my friends. Regardless of what we have in this world, we must look to Jesus. It's a cursed existence. Blessing only comes under his wing. The cursing is everywhere in this world. In him, it's all blessing. In Jesus Christ, there's nothing like a curse. We can hide in him. 
And that's what we tell men and women on Good Friday. Hide under the shadow of the cross. It's the only place to be safe from a cursed existence. Turn from your foolishness and live. Turn from your sin and live. Don't live another day outside the shadow of the cross. It's cursed out there. Hide under the cross. And that's why Christians, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And Jesus Christ, knowing that only in him is their blessing, tells us, forsake all you have and follow me. Forsake all your plans and follow me. Forsake every foundation you have been building on. Build on the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died to redeem from the curse. Curse is the man who tries to live this life by himself. He is cursed. Curse is the person who's boasting in his wisdom, his intellect, his beauty, his, his discipline. He is cursed. Make your boast in the Lord. Make your boast in the cross. Amen.